Hi, I'm Kevin Rogers, and you're listening to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. It's no secret that public education finds its roots in the Christian faith. Uh, If you uh, study the history of almost any Canadian university, uh, you're going to find that there were clergy and prominent Christian community builders uh, that believed that education held the keys to greater knowledge and wisdom. Uh, Christian faith is built on curiosity and wonder about all of creation and unveiling its mysteries. Uh, But today, if you walk onto the campuses of Canadian universities, you may need to look harder to find a place for Christian faith. Building on a history of campus chaplaincy, uh, Christian outreach, discipleship groups, we're seeing a resurgence of gospel witness and Christian community, community emerging as heaven's counterculture in the midst of an often hostile environment. Uh, My guests today can speak directly to the relevance of Jesus in the halls of education. Uh, I'm going to uh, ask my guests to introduce themselves today and uh, tell about their role as a campus worker. And uh, so I think we'll start with uh, uh, British Columbia and make our way east. And uh, so John Engels uh, is up. John, uh, hello and welcome. And uh, tell us about your role with uh, campus ministry. Yeah, thanks, uh, Kevin. Thanks for having us here and uh, really looking forward to uh, sharing around this virtual screen today. Uh, Yeah, as you mentioned, I um, my name is John and I am the uh, national coordinator for Serve Campus Network, which uh, we have a few friendly faces here. Uh, from the network today. And I'm also a part-time chaplain at Kwantlen Polytechnic University here in Surrey. And most of uh, what I've been doing for the past two years, two years, four months about, is just been uh, getting to know faculty and and staff and and some students. Of course, the pandemic hit and that uh, kind of put a stop on uh, a lot of forward momentum stuff with students. So um, even today, I have a, a, uh, an event with KPU virtually on climate change. So it's a multi-faith perspective on climate change. So you just never know like, what you're going to uh, be asked to be part of in, in that kind of uh, environment. So anyway, that's just a little bit about me. And uh, yeah, I live here in, in Surrey, B.C. And John, as the uh, Mission Canada um, campus worker, um, you uh, oversee uh, uh, people doing campus ministry from coast to coast. Um, in your uh, numbers, what, how many people are involved in uh, campus ministry, uh, at least from uh, the, the Pentecostal Assembly's perspective? Right. Well, we have uh, campus missionary people like, that are around the table here. We also have faculty and staff. Um, who volunteer. We have church staff as well. And uh, so all told, we're, we're somewhere probably around 75 people engaged. Um, I've kind of lost count at that point. It, it keeps kind of morphing out. I know it's, it's larger than that, actually. I'm, I'm not including uh, many other people <laughs> that have come on board since. But uh, I, And about 45, 46 campuses presently from uh, 
all the way from Newfoundland to University of Victoria. Uh, that's certainly a significant number of people and, and campuses uh, that uh, work is happening on. Um, it, how many, uh, how, how much more room is there uh, in your, do you think, how many workers uh, oh. could there be on how many campuses? Well, right now, you know, there, there's several solo workers uh, that really want some, some team members to join them. And so, we could easily double our numbers, uh, you know, and easily double the number of campuses that we're on. Um, so, you know, we have 2.1 million students uh, across Canada in post-secondary schools. And we are approximately on right now campuses representing about 1 million students. And so you can tell just by those sheer demographics how much further we have to go. Um. Next, uh, we're going to meet uh, Millie, uh, Millie Lee, and uh, I don't, I think I've met everybody else. I have met everybody else before, but I've never met Millie. So hi, Millie. I'm, I'm Kevin. I'm the host of the podcast, and uh, I'm curious to know who you are and tell us about where you are and what you're up to. Nice to meet you. Mr. Kevin. Um, yeah, my name is Millie. Um, I work for University Christian Ministries um, at SFU, um, Simon Fraser University in Burnaby from Vancouver in BC. Um, yeah, I've been working here for more than seven years now. I'm in my eighth year. Um, I'm the director for the ministry there. All right. And uh, then we're going to move over to Alberta and uh, meet Kelly Johnson. Hi, Kelly. To be with you. I've been, uh, I did my undergrad at University of Calgary and then uh, came back after uh, teaching for a few years and I oversee university campus ministries at U of C, Mount Royal University and SAFE. Uh, we have other students from other campuses that join us sometimes too, but um, yeah, that's lots of people. Uh, Calgary is known as a more of a commuter campus, so people live uh, all over within Calgary and outside of Calgary and, and commute in when we have classes in and, um, but there are a lot of international students and there are a lot of uh, housing residences, uh, both on campus and nearby campus. So some people uh, don't really go very far at all from campus, but uh, I, I know even at the University of Calgary, I was just thinking this morning how our, our university seeks to be, you know, engaged in the community and we have different locations around the city and so uh, there are opportunities, I think, when things happen in Calgary that uh, we are invited into. And so uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing and uh, learning from my colleagues here and from you as well on how we can engage with the larger, uh, not just campus community, but how it impacts our city. All right, we're uh, going to fly over the Prairie Provinces and uh, land down at uh, Toronto Airport on Toronto Island. We're gonna cross over uh, to mainland downtown Toronto and up Young Street to Ryerson University. Hello, Giselle, tell us uh, about what's going on at Ryerson and who you are. Hey Kev, uh, I'm Giselle Johnson. I work at Ryerson University in a ministry called Lifeline alongside David Burke, who's the pastor and I'm on staff. 
and our goal is to reach the 44,000 students that come from all over the world at Ryerson University um, to, you know, bring prodigal sons and daughters back home. And so that's our mission. Um, we have a community of students and uh, uh, on a journey to find, follow and serve Jesus Christ. And so we meet on Tuesdays for services and we have Bible studies that we do. We do socials, we do red frogs, outreach, all that fun stuff. And to engage the campus of, uh, of the 44,000 students. And you mentioned David Burke. Uh, David was one of our uh, guests on the podcast, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes for anybody that uh, wants to hear another podcast that talks about campus ministry, particularly at Ryerson. Uh, well, let's um, uh, hop on our bicycle and uh, make a, a trip down uh, the 401 to Montreal. Meet David Ritz. Hi, David. Hello. Yeah, the other day, my son asked me actually how long it would take to walk to Toronto from Montreal, and we figured it would probably take 14 days of straight walking to get there. Uh, but yeah, my name is, is David Ritz, uh, uh, originally from Alberta, and then God brought us here in 2006 and seven. fell in love with the city, fell in love uh, with the culture that's here, and uh, met my wife as well, proposed on Mount Royal, and uh yeah, in the, the greater Montreal area, there's probably about 250,000 post-secondary education students within the area, one of the highest demographics, uh, second only to Boston. We like to compete with Boston for those uh, for that stat. Um, but uh, yeah, and so I, I oversee Red Frogs, uh, which keeps us pretty busy at McGill. Um, and we've been able to do some things for some, uh, for, for, students outside of the McGill uh, University as well. Um, had our first SAGEP event this year. And in case you're wondering what SAGEP is, it's unique to Quebec. It's it's kind of, they do their grade 12 year high school and kind of a prep slash trade slash community college uh, time at SAGEP. So it's basically just a really cheap way for students to test waters in an area of study. So. Um, yeah, so that we do that. And I also am the staff associate with the Christian Medical and Dental Association for the med students uh, at McGill as well. So, yeah. Montreal is an amazing place and uh, it's no wonder that you have a quarter million post-secondary students there. Um, you know, that's, that's interesting if you think about all of our major universities tend to land in an urban center. And, uh, and sometimes uh, the, the population of a university and its affiliates uh, numbers in the tens of thousands, and, uh, or in, in your case, a quarter million. And uh, you know, that's, um, that's sizable. And, and there's often around a uh, campus very much of a whole infrastructure of shops and restaurants and, and uh, security and, and all kinds of services. It's, it's as if uh, there is a city within the city. And uh, so is it, is it fair to say that um, a lot of students, you know, sp spend their lives within a, a campus city uh, you know, tell me about your observations of that community, that uh, city within the city. What's it look like where you are? Who wants to go first? Start with you, David. It, it's interesting in Montreal 
uh, specifically Montreal, because you have a, a very different culture within a culture because you have the surrounding Quebec or French culture, and then you have sort of the McGill culture, which is very uh, uh, international, national students come here. It's an Ivy League school. It's the tuition price point is like excellent for domestic students. Um, and comparable even for international students. So you have that sort of dynamic within the greater context of the, the French Quebecer culture that's surrounding it. So uh, that's like a, it's a, like a really interesting point. But then on the, on the Francophone uh, campuses with some colleagues that I've talked to, the dynamic is different. Um, the CEGEP, the CEGEP uh, piece kind of changes the sort of esprit de corps that you would typically find on English campuses the dynamics are a little bit different. And so by the time they go to University of Montreal or UCAM uh, or places like that, they tend to, French Quebec students tend to have already been living on their own. So it's not, doesn't have the same sort of student feel that McGill has. McGill has, there's a specific spot called the McGill Ghetto that is highly concentrated with students. And you go there between September and April and it's just it's crawling with students all over the place and into the plateau area. Um, so it, it, and I know McGill students have told us about the McGill bubble and how, how they tend to kind of stay within the sort of plateau McGill downtown area. Um, even moving here the first time doing my internship, I was like, I don't speak a lot of French. Is that going to be a problem? They're like, yeah, there's like 50,000 students in the downtown area that also don't speak French, so you should be okay. So it, it's a very interesting question. I, like, I'd be curious to know in the other places in Quebec what that dynamic is like, although it's certainly, it's very acute here in Montreal, um, I would say. How about somebody else? Uh, the city within the city that you're a part of. John, I think you were telling me uh, in a recent conversation about uh, uh, UBC. Yeah, it's really interesting stuff happening at, at UBC. And Millie, you would know too about uh, some of the stuff that's happening. But if you go back you know, several years, probably 10, 12 years now, uh, you, you'd drive up to UBC and you would see promotion about university so C-I-T-Y, also the same at SFU. And it's really true. Like you, you've got shopping centers, you've got restaurants, uh, you know, you've got, you've got um, family housing right there. Uh, a lot of the faculty live in, in the, uh, condos, you know, so it has been built up hugely. Uh, it's been a, a lot more people have been brought in as a result of that. So it, it, on those two campuses in particular, it really is like a, a city within a city. It's, it's very uh, self-contained. And I'll let Millie speak to you know her context, but uh, UBC is actually just have just bought three acres in Surrey. And Surrey is the largest growing city in uh, BC right now. Um, it will soon surpass Vancouver's population. And so UBC is actually planting another campus in Surrey, right next to SFU Surrey, right next to Kwantlen Polytechnic University. 
and they're going to be in somewhere around 10,000 students. And uh, I could go into all that, uh, all the other detail with that, but but really, it, it, it's again going to be a self-contained kind of high-rise situation um, with with shopping and mall and all this kind of stuff. So uh, we're going more and more in that direction. Anything to add to that, Millie? Yeah, no, like. And SFU is interesting too, because we are on a mountain. So we're like a city on a hill kind of situation. Um, yeah, like I, I think there are a lot of international students who are living on um, on the mountain, but we're still actually quite a commuter campus. Um, so yeah, like definitely we have a lot of different, like I guess, ethnic food <laughs> on campus and um yeah, and I know that like once it's snowing, basically everyone just stuck together on campus um, on the mountain. So that's definitely interesting to see how that dynamic plays out. Like when you're walking around, maybe a lot of students, they have their own language. You can see them speaking in Mandarin mostly actually. Um, yeah, so it is pretty interesting to see that dynamic. Do you... Uh... Uh, find that uh, now if we think about the city that the campus city or university is embedded into, uh, talk about some of the ways that uh, your campus ministries uh, make a contribution to the larger city. You know, uh, do you have ways that you're leading students uh, in, say, caring for the widows and the orphans uh, to borrow uh, that scriptural uh, language of uh, people that uh, that have uh, very unique challenges. How, how is campus ministry um, uh, extending its reach out into uh, the city and, and the world beyond? Maybe I'll jump in here. Uh, as we were talking about kind of the densification of our campuses, and uh, there is more and more of that around, but Cal, uh, University of Calgary and Mount Royal are both kind of out in the suburbs. And um, so it, it does provide interesting opportunities. You know, our social work students obviously are concerned about uh, issues. We have uh, quite a push within our campuses, uh, all post-secondary in Calgary on kind of indigenization, indigenization um, of our curriculum and trying to wrestle with what some of the issues are as, um, with some of our population in our cities. I know even just for myself, the um, one of the discipleship pieces for our students is, uh, you know, a lot of the spiritual disciplines around prayer and different uh, practices, but we also want to emphasize that we have to be engaged with the poor, with the homeless, um, with people who are different than ourselves. And so we're coming from generally on our campus is pretty privileged people. And so whether they're coming from around the world or, or from our own cities or from rural areas, uh, I don't think the poor, um, many of them even think about post-secondary because they're not, uh, they're more in survival mode. So we have to work pretty hard at engaging. And I, I know even uh, just kind of highlight my son's work on campus. He's worked with me, uh, he's a fourth year philosophy student now, but somebody challenged him uh, a year and a half or two ago how can you say you love the poor as a Christian if you don't know anybody's name who's poor? 
And so that really uh, kind of pierced him and uh, he's led our ministry in, in doing some intentional engagement, uh, just getting to know people's names uh, downtown. So they'll go and share, you know, socks or water bottles or granola bars, but then they'll pray about God, is there somebody on this trip that I'm supposed to take for a meal just so that we can hear their story more. And uh, this has been, uh, I think, quite a, a breakthrough for our students in learning that uh, this is part of their spiritual life is to care for the poor and maybe they haven't seen them before. And so this has been really encouraging for me an aspect of, of engaging with our city. Um, even just, I, I know I had a student riding our C train, which is our, our light rail transit. Um, a few months ago, I heard that uh, somebody kind of was on the train with him who looked like he had had a pretty rough night and uh, somebody had beaten him up and uh, his shoes were stolen. And so one of our students uh, who'd been doing some of this downtown, um, getting to know uh, new friends down there, uh, said, hey, let me take you into the mall here and uh, we'll get you some shoes. And I don't think he ever would have done that unless he would have explored in a gentle way, you know, uh, some of these weekly opportunities we have to, to hear the story of people who, who are downtown or perhaps even homeless, um, who are living a little different life than many of them. So that sort of thing is really encouraging for me. It's real life opportunities in our own cities to, to engage with God's heart for, for all of us. What an amazing thing, Kelly, to have your, have your son um, working with you uh, and, and to watch the unique thing that God's doing in his life. Uh, yeah, let's, what about other places? Uh, ways that uh, your campus ministry is taking uh, people uh, beyond the, the, the campus uh, boundaries to the city at large. Anybody else doing anything kind of kind of interesting? Well, we've uh, I, I've become good friends with one guy who's doing. Uh, he's a street intervention worker here in Montreal. Been doing it probably longer than anybody else. Uh, I think since the '90s, and uh, and he's he's been a really good resource to talk about how to do that and how to like do it well. Um, it can be a little overwhelming in Montreal because there's there's so much need all around. And I think sometimes for campus ministries, the challenges is like, yep, we want to be good neighbors, but also like there's, you know, there's 500 Christians that are like part of churches and campus groups. And there's 45,000 students that go here that also need Jesus. So sometimes I think, it can be a little bit overwhelming to try and handle all of it at the same time. <laughs> so, um, but there's definitely like huge potential. There is just a, an article, like a news story on CBC of this McGill girl who crowdfunded a $250,000 campaign or $25,000 campaign of giving jackets out to the homeless. And she basically like uh, her, um, they, 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 her dad was a liquidation supplier and was like, what's going on with all these jackets? So they were able to get like 250 jackets at $25 a piece and just hand them out like high quality, high quality jackets. So um, the, the potential for students to be able to affect good is, is huge. Uh, they have the energy and the excitement. So it's, I think sometimes it's a, it's a challenge to help them 
see and look outside of the, the, the sometimes the university bubble and identifying who's called to help lead us in that. But I think that as leaders, it can sometimes be hard when like, it'd be great to do all this, but like, <laughs> we, how do we motivate our leaders to, to also see the need? Well, I think in the uh, four or five years that that you have um, with with a student, there's such a tremendous opportunity to uh, model and teach values that they're going to take with them for life. And literally, your student population uh, are global; they're going everywhere in the world. And uh, so, what a what a what a unique place each of you are to be able to um, have, have an influence on, on them uh, so that uh, as, as they learn to follow Jesus, uh, that gets carried to the ends of the earth. And uh, I mean, hats off uh, to every campus worker for, uh, for being a part of, of that, literally a global movement. Um, you know, when, when we look at uh, the uh, the average, uh, say, student who grew up in a church somewhere, uh, they they went to youth group perhaps, and uh, they go to university, and um, you know uh, it. There 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 are probably some uh, Christian clubs in in schools that uh, are kind of a, a haven or a hideout. Uh, for for Christians uh, who are on campus, and it becomes their their safe safe place to worship Jesus, to uh, to to fellowship with other Christians. But how do you go beyond just uh, say catering to um, the the kid who grew up in church and and may want to maintain their faith and. And, and, and I may be somewhat facetious in, in the question, um, but is there often an insecurity about leaving home and giving your childhood faith a farewell at the same time? Uh, tell me about what you're encountering among students, uh, certainly the ones that the unique challenges for those that are uh, raised in the church and uh, those who are finding Jesus for the first time. Do you see much difference between the two? Uh, what part of the spiritual formation journey uh, are you most involved in, would you say? Who wants to jump in on that one? Go ahead, Kelly. It's That's a challenging topic I think for for all of us I, I think I, I was just telling somebody uh, yesterday on campus uh, that it, it is a challenge for people who when they've come from this bubble they don't feel comfortable coming up even to our faith and spirituality center if they've been in a nice Christian cocoon or Christian school or whatever um, so there are some real challenges and um, for some of them doing interfaith work or even Cross denominations is really hard for some students because it hasn't been modeled for them that uh, God is present, God is at work all around us. And so there is a nervousness, a reluctance sometimes. It doesn't smell right for them to, uh, to say prayers in a different way or to read a liturgy. And so I think there are some, some opportunities for us to kind of model a different way of engagement. Some of our 
multi-denominational and multi-faith opportunities are, are huge for some students. It's, they come alive to, uh, you know, the ways that God has, has created them. And maybe they haven't, maybe they've wrestled with things in their own church, but uh, being on campus has given them an opportunity to, to struggle with some of those questions and still to be kind of in a safe place, but also to have permission to explore some of those things. So, yeah, I, I don't think you're being facetious. I think there are real challenges. We know that a lot of students uh, from whatever tradition uh, maybe become secularized or something when they when they go and get outside of their own uh, comfort zone. But I think there's huge opportunities uh, if we travel with them and, and model some of that. So I, it's very exciting for me actually to be on a campus and to be able to explore, but to have people who want to, and I don't like you kind of talked about, oh, maybe that's a hard place in your introduction. Um, I've had people say, oh, how is it doing ministry there in the shadow of the Tower of Mordor? Like they see, uh, they see university as this dark secular place, but I think we have to recognize that God is at work and educate, you know, our universities were started by people who wanted to, to see God at work and that all truth is God's truth. And so I think there is uh, really exciting opportunities for us. And maybe Maybe a little bit of it is there are different models. So some clubs may be a little huddle, but um, I think even in chaplaincy, sometimes people see it as maintenance, but there are real opportunities for mission and engagement in a way that vitalizes our faith and uh, sees students propelled out into, uh, into a lifetime of uh, active and vibrant service. I, I love those converse, I love those conversations. Like I love those conversations of even like questions or deconstructing a bit and trying to figure it out. And like I remember one conversation with a, a person who had been a f fairly solid leader. Um, and then um, uh, we came back from the summertime and we were chatting and she's like I don't know like this kid asked I was a counselor at a camp and this kid asked me this question about faith and like I gave the answer that I thought was right but then it really like tripped me up and I began thinking about it and like maybe maybe I'm not as strong in my faith as I thought and I'm like there's nothing wrong with asking that question it's a valid question like I love those kinds of conversations where you can unpack and sort of be like these uh, safe space to like ask questions of their faith and telling like I, I think a place like a university can be a great place and a safe place to ask those questions and I think as campus leaders reacting in a way that is like no that's a valid question and even something that I've wrestled through too or are still wrestling through but here's where I find my peace here's where I find my rest here's how how, how Jesus can can help change that and here's where I trust that I don't have the answer here um, th those are some of my favorite conversations and moments in ministry. You mentioned, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Millie. <laughs> oh, or, no, Giselle. Gonna, yeah, it's all good. I was just going to add on to, to David's point, just how we can practically uh, engage the students who are one left their faith and are still struggling or two those who are kind of new or maybe on the fringes to use that word. Um, one of the ways at Lifeline we've done this from very early on is uh, implement Tough Question Tuesday, which we just call TQT. 
Uh, and we have the students submit questions that they've been struggling with anonymously. So we've done them where they've written them on pieces of paper, they put them in, they submit them about a couple of weeks because we don't pretend to be the all experts and we don't try to answer those, those quite a lot of the questions on spot. Um, some of them take a lot of research. These, these students ask um, really intense questions sometimes uh, that require research. Um, but what we do is have them submit their questions anonymously, which uh, removes the pressure of I'm the one asking the question. I'm the one who's on the spotlight, uh, maybe asking questions about sexuality, maybe asking questions about uh, how do I can I prove that God really exists, those kind of questions. Um, that they may not want someone to know that they were the one asking that specific question. So uh, they submit them and then we usually give them, we usually take about a week or two weeks to have the questions come in. And then we sit down together and have a more like an open, David and I answer the questions with the students and we kind of let them do feedback, ask additional questions, that kind of thing. That's obviously adapted since uh, we've been online uh, this last two years. Uh, so we do it through a format very familiar, similar to this. Uh, and students get a chance to kind of engage and, and type in the chat or, or talk and ask questions like that. And so it's one of the ways we get students to just um, get a sense of where they're at spiritually, what kind of questions are they're asking, what do they need to learn more about, um, and, and what, what are they hunger, like what do they hunger for? And so um, that's one of the ways we've kind of made it more like an open forum where they can kind of share um, what they want to, to hear and learn about. So that's that's kind of how we engage our students. And, and that actually brings in the most students we've had. And of all our events, uh, we see students, friends, they'll bring their friends who've never come to faith to hear about questions that they may have or to kind of uh, have conversations around our family dinners after our service. So stuff like that are great ways to bring people in who have certain questions. Um, and yeah, that's just been really successful for us in terms of reaching students who would never walk into the traditional church setting. That's that's really something, Giselle. You know, I think sometimes when we uh, are trying to reach people and we approach it from, uh, say, the position of apologetics, uh, we come prepared to answer the questions that we think that they will have. Uh, but what are what are actually the questions that surface more often? Uh, that maybe we're not prepared for. Can you think of, uh, you know, a couple of questions that have come up where you were just kind of stymied by it? Uh, and, and maybe others have had this experience as well. What are the questions? What are the big questions that you're seeing? Hmm. I mean, for me, every question is always like, wow, <laughs> didn't think you thought like that. Um, well, one of them recently we had was on generational curse and generational trauma and sin, which someone asked, is that a biblical concept or is that something that's secular? That's, you know, kind of everyone that's, that's adapting to it. And I, and we went into like, okay, can we find evidence for like what, you know, the secular world is advocating as generational curses is that is that what is that something that you can find biblically um based on the definition without going super deep into all of that like you know that kind of conversation brought up uh, a, a lot of things about you know yeah we have uh, a tendency to repeat our parents sin is that a curse not necessarily <laughs> no um maybe some cultures may see it that way and and just by the definition of what um some of the secular world looks at generational curses we do not attribute that to uh, 
how God sees that. And so those, those conversations was really interesting. And it, it took me aback to be like, okay, I got to look for that in scripture and find maybe uh, examples where you could prove that this is this, or, or maybe somebody used it um, out of context or um, where have they heard this before? Um, yeah. So those kind of questions are always interesting. We had one on a Dead Sea Scrolls, which me, I was like, David, you take that. You, that's you. You can own that question. I am not going to fight you for that one. Uh, and he did a lot of deep research, which at one point I looked at him and, and we were sitting across from each other and he was like, I should wrap up. I'm getting too deep. I'm getting too nerdy now. And I'm like, yeah, you lost us, David. You lost us. Um, but um, yeah, so students are asking really, uh, really interesting questions about just um, one, we have one on, you know, for example, uh, why would God put the tree in the garden knowing that uh, Adam and Eve would take from that tree? You know what I mean? Like stuff, stuff like that. And, and there's the, the idea of, um, you know, God predestined and and so and we're trying to unta- we're trying to kind of uh, unpack that for students like um, questions that usually take me aback are things that we might have just been at, grew up in church and we accepted like yes okay um, God is sovereign God is good but then if someone you have someone that might not grew up uh, in that Christian bubble or that faith and they're like I understand that if God's sovereign and is good why is there evil and suffering in this world? And then unpacking that for them and helping them kind of walk through, you know, their own real suffering. So it's not necessarily sometimes the questions that take us aback, but re- understanding that their context, their, their experiences come with hurt, come with different um, lenses that we sometimes as Christians put on and just go, oh yeah, this is how it is. And this is how, you know, God is good, God's faithful. But how do you unpack that for someone who's gone through some deep trauma and pain or walk through their own lenses. So um, helping them see that, you know, you can't just slap an amen on everything and helping them kind of unpack uh, what's really going on here. Where's the root and how God actually walks you through the suffering. You know, we look at Job and we look at um, many people in, in, in the Bible and we help them uh, understand that God is not the root of their suffering, but also um he actually takes you through the storm. And so there's, there's so much of that, that um, maybe not uh, we as Christians are um, don't really see or, or naturally kind of uh, think about how could someone else from a different cultural context or uh, understanding um, may see God. That right. Makes sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The world uh, can look so different when you put somebody else's glasses on instead of your own. Um, what, what about uh, the rest of you? What are some of the, the surprising questions or the unexpected questions uh, that you're encountering uh, as, as you're working with students? Oh, sorry, Kelly, go ahead. I think it's, it's uh, so wide and diverse, everything from, you know, our, our power and privilege, uh, which different uh, cultural events have spotlighted in the last couple of years to um, gender issues, even issues around evolution, right? For some uh, Christian students, actually even Christian faculty. I've, ha- I've been in prayer meetings where, you know, one Christian professor might uh, say, oh, I love teaching about evolution here. And this just gets me really excited. And then another Christian professor, well, how do you do that? And like, uh, because they've only been raised with a young earth uh, philosophy or a uh, church and uh, even just hearing other Pentecostal people, you know, talk about, well, the research shows, you know, we have 
10,000 years ago, we started living in cities and, you know, just being excited about different parts of uh, history or of, of uh, human biology. And then, so uh, a lot of these things are kind of cyclical and over, you know, a three to eight year span, you might see come around again, but um, letting students know that there might be a diversity of the opinion on people who love Jesus that they have on those issues just kind of lets them take a deep breath and realize that it's not going to be uh, uh, faith shattering if they question some of these things and if they explore uh, different uh, approaches or answers to that. So I found that very helpful just to, to let them know that there is a wide variety of uh, Christian engagement on some of these big challenging topics. Yeah, I was, think, I was thinking about um, the Alpha Group that I was helping run this uh, past year. Uh, Emily, I think, was part of it too. But uh, one one student from China, one student from Taiwan, and both from completely different backgrounds. One Buddhist, one whose parents are in the Communist Party, atheist, yet they're hungry, and they were bringing back the basic apologetics questions when we were going through the film series called The Chosen and seeing the stories of Jesus and, you know, the questions would come up about, uh, you know, when when Jesus does the miracles and like to them, that's just like, wow, that's beyond science. And, and yet they're very intrigued or we talk about human nature and, you know, sin and, you know, what what is sin? some of these basic kinds of concepts that we can just take for granted as Christians and we hear about preached, you know, but uh, for, for international students who don't know Jesus, they're, they're asking the very honest uh, core questions. And it's so refreshing actually to, um, to engage with them because as you do that, as I did that, uh, I, I learned more about their culture and I would, it would cause me to ask questions about their belief system and how they see things. And then we compare and contrast, uh, you know, the two worldviews and it was like aha moments were, were happening. And you could see the journey and their hunger for Christ growing because it was in a safe environment. You know, it wasn't, wasn't about trying to win an argument. It was, it was about uh, journeying together in this adventure and discovery of, of what the Bible has to say and, and who Jesus is. So, I, I just found that to be so refreshing the, this past year uh, when it comes to just international students who, who don't know a thing about Jesus or the gospel. I, I was thinking like probably one of the most surprising questions that I was asked and like as going back to your question about like church students versus like sort of new in their faith. Uh, one student who uh, I got to know, he, he was in charge of even outreach and evangelism of a, of a campus group. And he asked me, he's like, you know, I was asked the other day, like, why do I believe in God? And I didn't know, well, how would you answer that? <laughs> well, dude, I, I can't answer that for you. <laughs> like my response is to me very different, but I realized in that moment, I'm like, man, he's like looking for like A, B, C, D, E, F, like what's the procedural answer for why I believe in Jesus? And I just like turned it back to him. I'm like, man, if you've never wrestled with why you believe in Jesus, it'd be a really good thing for you to wrestle with and to just sit with. Um, one topic that I've noticed comes up a lot is like sex. Why is it, can I not, can I live with my boyfriend? Why is that good or bad? Like, I don't understand. Like, why does Jesus care? Do I really need to get married? Does a piece of paper really like indicate my love? Like, um, and from leaders, 
I've been asked that question and had to address that topic too, um, uh, which surprised me because for me, I just like, we don't do that, you know, <laughs> but it's like I ha having to realize it's like I can't roll my eyes physically. Maybe in my head, I can roll my eyes thinking about this question coming up again, um, but patiently walking with people and, um, and, and walking through why that's important. And I found with medical students, questions are, are hard for me to wrap my mind around because the things that they're wrestling with are things like made. Can I, can I run my, can I, can I honestly be a follower of Jesus? What about issues of conscience? How do I live in my faith when I'm going to be expected to do abortion or made or refer services? Can I do that? And that's like, that's a, that's, that is a hard one for me to, to really know how to encourage because I'm not in that field. Um, and so just like men, like we need, this is where we need Jesus. This is where, where we need him to give us the tools that we need to be able to function within our workplace. That I know. So let's focus on that. Let's focus on how we can, how we can be encouraged um, in our faith in that. Hey, this is Kevin again. Do you know that our podcast uh, now has over 4,200 RSS subscribers? That means that the stories that we're sharing and the interviews that we're having are being heard uh, in many places. Uh, a lot of our listeners are Canadian, uh, but we do have about 10% that are from the US and 5% uh, from other parts of the world. Uh, but you can help us to, to grow the listenership of the podcast. If you've enjoyed uh, listening to any of these episodes, uh, would you go to our website, sidewalkskylinepodcast.com, and uh, there you can like episodes and you can leave comments. And the more that you share uh, our episodes, the more likes we get, the more comments we receive. Uh, that actually affects the algorithms and uh, pushes it out to people that are looking for a podcast to listen to. So help us do that, would you? Uh, this is the end of part one of uh, my interview with uh, campus workers. Uh, but one thing that I think you can see from listening to them is that there are campus workers that believe Jesus is worth knowing and that students need a good introduction to Jesus. Uh, I'm so proud of uh, so many great campus workers across the nation that are role modeling what it means to be a solid disciple, a solid follower of Jesus. Well, on our next uh, episode, part two of my conversation with our campus workers, uh, we're gonna be talking about uh, one thing that uh, is the awakening of conscience. And, uh, you know, as we look at um, the, uh, the, the issues that are so important uh, to, to young lives, uh, we're, we're, we see the awakening of conscience. And what does that mean? And then also looking at some of the impacts of deconstruction and uh, how that is uh, having a, an effect on, on uh, people that grow up in the church. Uh, and then also we want to talk about rebuilding after all the pandemic restrictions. So come on back and listen to our next episode. And until that time, I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. Keep one ear to the sky and one ear to the ground. This is Sidewalk 
Skyline Podcast. <laughs>